This is episode number 69 of the To Birth and Beyond podcast. So this episode is brought to you by Earth Mama Organics, a company making effective and safe herbal care for the whole journey of motherhood, pregnancy, postpartum, breastfeeding, baby care, or even the loss of a baby. Because motherhood is a wild ride and we're all in this together. Personally, I used Earth Mama Organic products with both babies um, during my pregnancy, but also postpartum. Probably my favorite is the their perineal spray. So I would highly recommend checking them out either online or at a local store in your community. We're so excited to have you with us on this episode of To Birth and Beyond. I'm Jessie Mundell, mom, kinesiologist, and fitness coach to pregnant and current moms. And I'm Anita Lambert, mom, pelvic health and orthopedic physiotherapist with a focus on women's health. On the show, we provide information and education on fitness, the pelvic floor, fertility, pregnancy, birth, postpartum, and women's health. We offer a brave space to have candid and vulnerable conversations on the struggles and joys of motherhood, including all aspects of our physical, mental, and emotional health. While you're listening in, please remember that the information on the show is not meant to diagnose or treat any medical conditions. Please speak with your medical provider for all things related to your healthcare. We're so excited to have you. Let's dive into today's show. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of To Birth and Beyond. It's Jesse Mundell and Anita Lambert. We want to give a content warning for today's episode. We are going to be talking about stillbirth, so please opt out if you need to and we'll catch you on the next episode. Today we are so grateful to be joined by Dory Jones. Dory is a client of mine in my online fitness membership program to pregnancy and beyond. And we are going to be talking with Dory today about her and her family's journey with stillbirth. So there's likely to be a lot of emotion in this episode. We are extremely lucky to have Dory on and Um, just grateful to her to share this story. Of course, it is one that is a long, sad, hard journey, but we are really looking forward to her sharing all that they have been through and learned through stillbirth in their family. So Dory, thank you so much for being on with us. We would love to hear from you. Just give us an idea of who you are, where you live, um, and we'll talk more about stillbirth once we get through that. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Um, I'm Dory. I am a wife to Dylan, mom to Kenza, who is three, and Atlas, who would be 11 months. And in my work life, I'm a speech-language pathologist um, who works primarily in an acute care setting with a small handful of private clients that I see in their homes, typically. Amazing. And a fellow Canadian with Anita and I. Yes. um, We live in Cranbrook, BC, which is like the southeast corner of BC. So we're kind of those of you who might be listening and wondering where on earth that is, because we're pretty tiny. We're kind of like equal distance between Spokane and Calgary to give you a US and a Canadian reference, because we're pretty close to both. Yeah. Remind me to tell you after I met two people from Cranbrook on the last course that I was on. Oh, cool. Yeah. I'll have to share them with you. Okay. So Dory, we have known each other for how long now? Almost. Um, so I think I had like 
been in touch with you just like kind of via email um, a couple times asking you like, where do I find a pelvic health professional and a few things like that um, officially became your clients in, I think um, it was probably early October of 2017. Yes. Okay. Yes. So you were into pregnancy well and throughout your pregnancy with Atlas and then you had a good, healthy pregnancy. Yeah. So um, not an easy pregnancy, but by all means, one that was considered totally normal, um, very healthy. I had pretty extreme morning sickness or pregnancy related nausea and vomiting, whatever you want to call it, because it was like all day. And um, like I said, pretty extreme um, to the point of like needing to go into eMERGE and get IV fluids. Um, and like diclectin was just immediately vomited back up um, on Danzatron or the common name I think is Sofran became my friend and was quite helpful. Um, and then kind of at about almost five months, I started feeling a bit better, um, well enough to return to work a couple days a week and eat. <laughs> um, gain back the weight I'd lost and put on like normal pregnancy weight, um, which is something I, I mentioned. I know a lot of moms just don't talk about it in pregnancy. Um, for me, actually gaining weight is hard work in pregnancy. So it's something that me and my healthcare providers do monitor, mostly at my request, because it gave me a bit of anxiety, um, even with my first just feeling like I was putting on enough to um, make sure I had a healthy baby. But yeah, the um, 20 week ultrasound, everything, like no, basically nothing came up. Everything was perfect. And so in our relatively small center, it's very common for family doctors to follow you throughout the duration of your pregnancy. I know in most bigger centers at like 25, between 25 and 30 weeks, a lot of people are referred to an OB, um, but everything looked fine. So, and my family doctor, um, I really had a good relationship with, and she had delivered my first. And so I was comfortable. Both of us felt like, yeah, just continue on. Um, and, and we did, everything looked great. Um, right up until that very, very last visit, um, which, would have been about like um, three or four days before Atlas was born. And at that visit, things were still looking good there. There was no cause for concern. Perfect. I mean, like measurements looking okay. Um, no problem finding a steady heartbeat in the normal range, like with the Doppler in her office. And, and basically we talked about like, um, here's what we'll plan, like kind of through our birth plan. And um, I had kind of talked to her a lot in my first pregnancy with Kenza about like, okay, if stuff comes up, like where will we go and what will happen? And so both of us, we kind of like touched on that. And she's like, you know, same as before if stuff happens. Um, and 
so at that appointment, I would have been like almost 38 weeks. And I think she gave me the option of like a membrane sweep. And I said, ah, let's wait another week unless you're in a hurry. <laughs> I'm okay. Um, and yeah, so we basically said like, see you next week. So tell us whatever you're comfortable sharing about how that birth went. Sure. Absolutely. Um, so I'll start on the Saturday. <laughs> um, we had just like a relaxed family day out at the lake. Um, and like we're on the boat and stuff with, um, with our three-year-old. Um, my mom was there. She'd been staying with us because my in-laws who live here in town were out of town. So she'd come to stay like just in case baby's on the way. Um, and this is something that like kind of haunts me now, to be honest. I remember saying like, hey, baby's kind of quieter than usual today. Um, that being said, our children are like ninjas. <laughs> they are like super, super active um, in utero, like to the point where my doctor would always comment on it. And I'm like, How? She, um, she is a family doctor, but her preference was to see women and deliver babies. So she saw a lot of babies. Um, and she, it was like still to the point where she would always say like, wow, they are really, really movers. Um, so I remember it was like, well, this is quiet for our baby, but still like within the normal kind of guidelines that you're given. So I didn't really think anything of it. Um, that night after everyone went to bed, um, I was like laying in bed and I was like, oh man, am I starting to have some contractions? Um, <clears throat> and I was like, mm, I maybe think so. And my husband and I were kind of laughing because baby was doing that weird thing where they like can completely change the shape of your stomach by like moving across it <laughs> with their like butt or something is like totally moving back and forth. So we're like, okay. Um, so I, I got up and showered just in case. So I was like, okay, I'm going to be ready for this. And then we went to bed and um, I slept like right through the night. But then when I woke up in the morning, I was like, okay, I'm definitely in labor now. Um, and so we like got up and um, my mom was supposed to fly home that day. And I said, Hey mom, maybe cancel your flight. <laughs> um Dylan's folks won't be back until this evening. And I think, I think we're going to need childcare before then. So, um, yeah, I basically labored at home until a little bit after noon. Um, we put Kenza for her nap and then headed off to the hospital. Um, and so we, it was a weekend, so, um, but we're like, okay, we know the routine in our small hospital. We go right up to labor and delivery, and then Dylan went back downstairs to um, register me while they got us, like, a room and everything, and of course, the, the question comes up, like, you know, how, how far apart are your contractions, and how long are they lasting, and um, have you felt baby moving, and I said, you know what? not a lot. And there were a couple movements where I felt like for sure they had been him, but I 
couldn't say like with 100% certainty. Um, but I wasn't really worried because with Kenza, um, I like I answered the question the same way when I got to the hospital and she was 100% the whole time. There was not like a moment where they were worried about her at all. Um, my labors tend to be pretty intense. <laughs> it's not like the, oh, I think I'm in labor. Let's meet a friend for coffee kind of labor. It's like, okay, this is like pretty full on right away. Um, so they were like, okay, we'll get you settled. We'll um, see how far you're dilated and, and we'll um, just check on baby, make sure they're okay. And so they did that and she was kind of like, oh, well, you're only two centimeters. And I could kind of like see it's like, okay, they're going to try and send us home again. Um, <laughs> but um, I was like, well, I think I'll probably like try and ask to stay because things tend to go pretty quickly <laughs> for me once they start happening. Um, or at least they had with Kenza. And uh, so then she like just, um, grabbed the monitor and like put it on. And she's like, so I'm kind of having a hard time finding the heart rate. And that was like, when it really hit me, like, um, because it had always just been so easy. And for a minute, I kind of felt like if you'll just give me the handheld Doppler, I know where to find him. I know, like, I know exactly where that has been for the last like four weeks. Um, so um, she went and grabbed a, another nurse and said like, I'll just have my colleague try. Um, and I think she went out to like call my doctor right away. Um, so it's kind of like what I call the, the hunt for the heartbeat and it it felt like this time went on forever and um I I remember like feeling really impatient with people like I know it's Sunday but like could my doctor just get here <laughs> um and and then she did and uh she also couldn't find it with the Doppler. So, um, like by this point, it's getting pretty real. And she said, is it okay if we break your water and, um, attach the electrode to Atlas's head and, uh, see if we can find it, find it that way. Um, and of course I said, yes. So we did and, and still nothing. Take your time. Um, so then they um, brought in the bedside ultrasound and also um, called for the OB on call to come in. <sighs> Sorry. <clears throat> um, and, and still nothing. 
And I just remember the nurse, um, she had her like hand on my wrist comparing my pulse because every once in a while they would catch something and you'd think, oh, there it is. And then she would whisper maternal. meaning it was just mine. Um, anyways, finally the OB arrives and um, he, he called it. Um, and uh, I will, I will never forget his words because they're like, burned in my mind um and uh he said um i'm sorry but uh this fetus isn't viable you'll deliver vaginally later this afternoon And um, I, I work in healthcare. I, I work in that very same hospital. And so I, I understand like so much our um, like professional jargon and terminology and that we use it to protect ourselves sometimes. But I just remember thinking like, this is my baby. Um, and, and just, um, so wishing that he had the courage to say that, um, anyways, um, up until then, um, I had just been using like laughing gas or gas in air, they call it different things depending where you are, um, for pain. And then like right away I said, like, can I, can I please have an epidural? Um, just feeling like I couldn't, maybe couldn't is the wrong word. I didn't want to handle all of the emotional stuff and all of the physical stuff that is labor and delivery. Um, knowing knowing that our baby would be silent um anyhow so my doctor did like have an epidural kit like right there right away um but also being the weekend in a small facility um there are, there's probably like one anesthesiologist on for the weekend. Um, and they have to triage based on what else is going on in the hospital. So, um, it, it wasn't long and she said like, I'm sorry, but I, like, I don't think they're going to make it. Um, and you're, you're progressing pretty quickly. So, um, 
like, let's just, let's just do what we can. Are you okay with, with using a bit of fentanyl? And I was like, I was basically like, give me whatever you've got. Um, so we did that. And I honestly like times for that day after we were at the hospital are a little bit foggy, but, um, so I was like two centimeters around 1230 or one o'clock in the afternoon when we first got there. And, um, I think it was probably like, um, probably at least three o'clock or three thirty before, um, basically the OB made the final call. And, um, um, so I, uh, yeah, I used a, a bit of fentanyl and then Atlas was born by, by 418. Thank you. Thank you. <sighs> I can't even imagine, of course, how you got through that whole experience, but then how you continued to labor after the OB made the call until he was born. What was happening in the room? at that time and with your husband and in your own mind? Um, on, honestly, like, um, you're so out of control of your body in labor, especially like those late stages of it. Um, I just like was feeling like I just wanted that part to be done um, like as fast as possible. Um, and so I honestly really just focused on like laboring and trying to, um, like trying to relax and breathe through the contractions and do like whatever I could just to like, get labor and delivery over with. Um, my, my husband was right there the whole time. Um, and honestly, um, I remember like looking at him in the eyes at one point and just feeling like I can't stand seeing him that sad and do this which kind of sounds awful, but, um, anyways, I, I don't really, like, remember a lot of stuff going on around. I know the room was, like, super quiet. Um, the, my, my doctor left, I think, to, um, consult with the OB and say, like, what, what went on, what is going on. Um, and then like the nurse was kind of in and out prepping things for, for delivery. Um, yeah. Uh, I, I just remember like everybody being really, really quiet. Um, and, and basically it was just like me telling them, um, or like 
hey, I feel like I need to push or them asking if, if they could do a cervical check. Um, and like otherwise it was just pretty much quiet. I, I know um, my husband told me later that he was just feeling like like he would give anything to trade places with Atlas. Um, but yeah, you just learn really, really quickly that so much is just out of our control. Yeah, it really, really is. So once Atlas was born, what happened? How much time did you get with him? Um, so like immediately after he was born, um, they, they had, so I guess one thing that they had asked me somewhere along the line is like, do you think you want to hold him once he's born? Um, and, and I said, yes. Um, and, and then, yeah, once he was born, I just had like this overwhelming urge, just like I had with Kenza to, to want to hold him. Um, and, and that's when the doctor told us that, um, his umbilical cord had been wrapped twice around his neck and once around his chest. Um, and she said like, it was, it was really tight. So that seemed like the reasonable explanation. Um, yeah, so we, so he was born, yeah, shortly after four in the afternoon. Um, any of our family that was close enough to and wanted to come meet him did that night. Um, and then we actually went home about 11 o'clock that evening. Um, I just had like this overwhelming need to be home when Kenza woke up in the morning. Um, <coughs> sorry. Um, she um, had stayed home, her, my mom, and um, Dylan's mom took turns coming to visit. And uh, honestly, um, nobody said, like, would you like Kenza to come meet Atlas? And I don't 
I, I honestly don't know what I would have answered. Um, I know how I feel about it now. Um, but she was, she was almost, almost three and, uh, being a big sister was, was really real to her. Um, something that she was like, so looking forward to, um, and talked about a lot. So anyways, I just wanted to be home and, uh. And, and be the ones to tell her, to tell her what had happened. Yeah. So it wasn't, it wasn't a lot of time. Um, my, my dad, um, my parents are about a seven hour drive away from us. And so he got there late that night so I had asked before we left the hospital like um I just kind of let them know like I feel like I really need to be at home for the morning um but would it be possible to come spend some more time possibly tomorrow um and and they said sure um what ended up happening was they were (laughs) they were at capacity um, in maternity, which is like about six beds in our hospital. But, um, so they, um, they made arrangements with, um, the funeral home that we said we would be using. And so we were able to go spend more time, uh, on the Monday evening, um, and any family again who who wanted to were able to as well. So our our picture of spending time was maybe a little bit unique um, compared to what um, a lot of families um, might do. But we did we did get to spend time with Atlas and all of us. <laughs> our families and stuff together. Yeah. Just want to say what a gift that is that you gave the rest of the family to have that time too. I imagine that that was just incredibly difficult as well. And knowing that you had such a short amount of time and you were able to extend, extend that generosity to others. It says a lot about you all. And one more thing that I want to say, so you understand Dory's character, is that we were very close together in our second pregnancies last year, and Dory sent an email to us to tell us what had happened, and before you even got into the email, you said that you wanted to be sure that I was not alone when I read the email, and it, your your heart is so kind. And so I want to thank you for that as well. Well, you're welcome. I, um, so both of my husband's sisters were also expecting, um, and like, we're just kind of at that stage in life where it seems like so many of our friends and family are, 
you know, having babies or trying to have babies or just had a baby. Um, and so that was something that um, I was really aware of. Um, and also like your own pregnancy and, and the population of people you work with is, is the same. So um, I, I don't want to say I felt like guilty, but I felt like my, like our experience and loss of Atlas might make other people's pregnancy experience harder. <laughs> um, and uh, I think my perspective on that has shifted a bit to feeling like um, I wish the possibility of stillbirth was something that somebody had told me about. Um, we hear like, you know, you, you go to your prenatal appointments and, and you get information on like foods to avoid because you know, you might contract listeriosis or something. And I, I recently saw some, some statistics comparing that, um, the incidences of like, of pregnancy loss or, um, baby loss based on listeriosis <laughs> and like they were in the U S but I, and I can't remember the exact number. The number that comes to mind is like 24 cases a year. It was definitely under 50. And um, Stats Canada makes their stats a little bit obscure. <laughs> um, so I haven't actually sat down and done the math to know exactly where we're at in Canada. Um, but the stillbirth rate in the U.S. is 1 in 160 pregnancies. So by the definition of, of stillbirth being a, a pregnancy loss after um, 20 weeks and um, basically a baby that doesn't take a breath outside of the womb. Um, but it excludes things like um, premature labor. So if the baby died because mom's body started labor at you know, sometime after 20 weeks and before, say, 35 weeks. Um, those losses aren't included in stillbirth um, in their statistics. So just to kind of give you an idea of, like, how common this is, um, and it's not a statistic they've had much success in improving in, like, quite a number of years. So I, I kind of wonder like, well, why isn't, why didn't anybody give me a heads up? Like I had had two full term pregnancies. Like Atlas was born at 38 weeks and two days. So like well within the normal window where you'd say like, okay, chances of a healthy pregnancy, healthy baby making it are like really good. Um, but yeah, I was at the time really, really aware of how it might make other people feel, um, and also just feeling like really, um, fearful for other people. Like 
that I knew about who were currently pregnant and, you know, having a healthy pregnancy to be like, um, yeah, you kind of lose all your naivete about like, about pregnancy and childbirth at all. Um, so yeah, and, and I mean, on the other side of that, I, I really appreciated people who, who, um, were pregnant or trying to, um, get pregnant or, or did get pregnant, like kind of shortly after, um, we actually had some good friends who decided to like delay announcing their pregnancy for like until she was like 20 weeks because they, they felt like, um, that, um, it would be hard for us to hear, or, I mean, they were just trying to be really respectful and they absolutely were, but I just remember feeling like it's not, it's not that we're not happy for you. We're just also terrified. <laughs> um, we are so happy for you and we like, we hope that you have a, a beautiful, healthy baby, um, but we're also really, really scared. Do you feel, Dory, it was something, did you end up talking to your doctor after and um, mentioning how, what you were just talking about, that you felt you had been talked about stillbirth before? Um, so my situation with my doctor, um, going, um, I shouldn't say going into my pregnancy, I knew, but short, shortly after I started seeing her for my prenatal visits, she let me know she would be moving at the end of June. Um, and so, um, I was, I was well aware of that going in that like my, uh, postpartum care with her would be like limited to a few weeks. Um, she was phenomenal. She met with either myself or Dylan or both of us, um, basically weekly. So for like four weeks and, until she moved, which, um, definitely is like up above and beyond. I mean, they can just do their like, see you later in a six week checkup, like, normal postpartum, but, um, I never, um, no, I never did bring it up with her. Um, I definitely am more inclined to ask for like specifics, um, now <laughs> in my healthcare in general, but, but no, I never did bring that up with her. Um, on, on the other hand, I mean, I think there's, and, and each a doctor or midwife or doula or whomever you might be involving in your prenatal care, I think they're always kind of trying to strike that balance of like um, good care and giving you the information, but not overwhelming you and causing you undue anxiety. But um, I do think like at those, 
especially like at those early appointments where they're talking about like, um, you know, cause most, I think most are pretty good about talking about like risk of miscarriage and stuff like that. Um, and so just like including it then, like you've heard about this, this is a possibility. It's not coming out of the clear blue sky. Um, and, and I don't know that I could say it would make any difference at all, having known that. Um, it's definitely a retrospective thought that like, oh, I wish I had known that maybe it wouldn't have changed how I feel about anything anyways. I think these stories are so important to share just so we feel more normal and not as alone. Absolutely. Um, honestly, like at the time, it was it was definitely the loneliest feeling ever. Um, I um, I didn't like I didn't know anybody who had gone into hospital in labor expecting a healthy baby and had come home without their baby. Um, I, um, yeah, I was just like, how, like, am I the only person that this has happened to? Um, I mean, you have all of these questions, like how, how did I not know being the mom and like carrying this baby that something was wrong? Um, and in all honesty, um, there were people who reached out to me with their stories. Um, one was actually my public health physiotherapist. She like emailed to check in and say like, Hey, have you had the baby yet? Um, is the date we set for your postnatal appointment still a good one? Um, and I like emailed her back and I said, yes, like, um, this is what happened. And, uh, she, she didn't like say a lot, but she emailed me back right away. And she said, just like, I'm so sorry. Um, I also had a daughter who, um, only lived a couple days. Anyways, um, at that first appointment, she shared her story with me and I just so appreciated her doing that. Um, I know it's kind of like this odd boundary of like, okay, she's one of my health professionals involved in my healthcare right now. But honestly, the most helpful thing I got out of that visit was like, there is somebody else <coughs> who, who gets this. And then also just, um, it felt very, very weird, but I remember searching the hashtag stillbirth and like this actually coming up on Instagram and um, people who had had shared their stories um, and I was just like oh my goodness okay I'm not the only person that this has happened to we're not the only family who is dealing with this um, but it certainly felt incredibly lonely.
especially in those first days and weeks. Yeah, absolutely. I can imagine how it's just reassuring when you feel seen and heard to hear other people's experiences. Totally. Yeah. And um, it's like kind of a bizarre, like I haven't met any of these people in real life, but we like, we share this connection and uh, like you could guarantee if you sent them a message, you are going to hear something back. Um, which was just kind of like incredible to me, but also like now being, being the one kind of like on the other side of those early, early days. Um, yeah, it's like, of course you would (laughs) send a message back. Like, yeah, (laughs) if you can, if you can give anyone some sense of like you're not the only one in this you definitely would what else was helpful in those early days weeks months to live with this um so honestly like in the like very first few days afterwards um people who just did stuff. Um, one of my friends who was also my neighbor and we were also pregnant together. I think it was like Monday. I was like, I should probably let her know what's going on. Cause like there are all these cars in our driveway and people coming and going. Um, and, and so I, I texted her and I was like, I'm really sorry to tell you this by text, but this is what's going on at our house right now. Um, and the next day she just sent me a text message and she said, um, there is going to be supper for 12 people show up at your house today. I hope that's okay. And, um, it was like, sure. Like, and I mean, there are so many things that like, don't even, yeah, there are all these people at my house, but like how we're going to, eat. I mean, I didn't even care if I ate. I wouldn't even have noticed if I had. Um, but like, probably our moms were thinking about that. Like, okay, you know, at least the kids need to eat and um, whatever. And it was just like done. And she showed up at our house with her like seven week old baby in the car seat and like all this food. Um, and so I think like for families or friends or people who just want to do like something, like so many people said like, oh, I'm so sorry, let us know if we can help. And I honest, I so appreciated that, but I honestly didn't know what I needed. I didn't know what I would find helpful. Um, so like, it was actually um, interesting to me. It was one of our, our ministers was at our place and he had come to um, finalize some details because we did have a, a burial and um, just like not really like a service, but a tea um, in honor of Atlas. And so he'd come just to like finalize some stuff about that to 
um, he was just like sitting quietly with Dylan and I, and he said, would it be okay if I mowed your lawn? <laughs> and I was like, our lawn needs to be mowed. <laughs> like I, I could have walked by uh, like an unmown lawn for at least a solid month and never even noticed that like, oh yeah, this is something that needs to be done. Um, so those like really um, early <laughs> things, like just take care of your people, like, um, and uh, it, it sounds kind of silly, um, but like we got gift cards to eat out so that we didn't have to think about like, what are we gonna eat tonight? <laughs> So that's kind of like on the practical front, um, on a more like emotional, psychological level. Um, the people I found the most helpful were ones who were okay with just being with you. Um, I'm a huge introvert <laughs> um, and also a person who used to be, I'll say, very um, guarded with my feelings. I wasn't the kind of person who liked people to know if I was struggling or um, I like, and th it's something I'm still working on, like asking for help. Um, so people were who are okay with just like being there and not feeling like we had to talk or like they needed to have something to say, um, but talking if we felt like it, I guess. And I, I know that can be like hugely uncomfortable to be the listener in those situations, especially when the person who's supposed to be the talker isn't talking. Yeah, so that was helpful. Um, for me, I, I appreciated so much like every single phone call and text and email, but I found talking on the phone really, really hard. Um, it's something that in all honesty, I avoid <laughs> in my everyday life, except for like with my people who I love very, very much. Um, like, and this is just me being an introvert. Growing up, my brothers used to get annoyed because if my parents weren't home, um, I would just let the phone ring until one of my brothers answered it, even if I was clearly the person closest to the phone. So um, that's me. That's probably a bit unique to me, but um, I get it. <laughs> Same. <laughs> yeah. Um, but and even like even if we didn't respond to them every single message like just a i'm so sorry just know that you're thought of um like just it doesn't have to it didn't have to be something big and profound but they were just so appreciated um and kind of like tangentially the like ongoing checking in or just saying hey just thinking of you today um I'm here if everything's not okay, because obviously everything's not okay, but um, I have a few friends who are international and uh, 
there were like quite a few times where my phone would start dinging with messages like in the middle of the night. And I just remember being so thankful that they chose to send the message rather than being like trying to figure out the time zones and being like, oh, it is the middle of the night. I, I better not. But it was like, that was the, the moment that they thought of it. And that was the time they had. So they, they did. Um, yeah. Um, in like kind of another vein, um, we were given a book that's called, um, healing your grieving heart after stillbirth, 100 practical ideas for parents and families. Um, and honestly, like there, there are books, um, there are a lot, all kinds of different books on, on grief and different things. But in those early days, excuse me, this one was doable because it's literally a list of a hundred things and each one is like a single page. So, um, like my brain could not focus on something that required me to read a whole chapter to get the point of, like, I just didn't have, my brain was fully occupied with trying to process how my healthy baby had died. Um, and so this book was like doable and it is like very upfront that you pick and choose out of it what might be helpful for you or for your family. Um, and like just things that like I just randomly opened it and number 72 know that you are a good parent which is like pretty hard to feel <laughs> when you're like um how how did like this baby was in my womb and I'm in his mother and how did it die and me not know um so I found it helpful I know other families who have lost children mostly that I've connected with online have found other books and stuff helpful but that one just felt doable at the time um and also um, helpful, like just to leave out. And if some of our family was around, um, it's written in a way that it's not just for the parents, but includes like um, things that might be helpful for extended family or. So I, I appreciated that quite early on, like very early on, I, uh, I um, reached out to someone who I knew was seeing a therapist who specializes in pre and postnatal um, anything, basically. Um, and so she wasn't someone who was local, but we started, I think I was probably like two and a half weeks um, out from Atlas's birth when we had our first visit and I I had never spoken to a counselor before um, and I I didn't really like know but she said she was like oh this is like good for you this is really early in in your timeline to like check in with 
a mental health therapist. Um, and, and basically we did like, um, just kind of like some basic like talk therapy, um, because we were doing it over, um, like Skype online. Um, but basically it was just really helpful for me to have like someone who was, who understood the situation, um, but who could also just like give some perspective kind of on like, like how early it really was. And like, you know, the acute stage of grief is a year. Like that is, I mean, when we think of other realms of health, it's like a surgery is acute for a few days or a week or something, but like, just so you know, this is going to, this is going to be huge for at least a year. Um, so she was really helpful um, to me and also just in kind of recognizing um, when things um, came up that needed someone I could speak face to face with. And she, she was really good about kind of pointing me in that um, direction. Uh, my husband also um, started seeing someone. Um, he chose to see someone locally right away. Um, and I, I don't really know what went on in their sessions so much. Um, mostly like the talk therapy as far as I know, but that's their sessions. So, and then like, honestly, there was just a lot of crying in our house. Um, and I think, um, being okay with that, um, being okay with it in front of our three-year-old and being okay with her, like trying to support her through all her feelings and grief. So it, there, and it, I think it's kind of changed <laughs> how we talk about things or maybe just how open Dylan and I choose to be with our feelings with our daughter. But it was just like, you know, mommy is feeling really sad today. Mommy is doing a lot of crying today, but she's also like, okay, I'm still here for you. And I guess <laughs> showing all the feelings is, yeah, just trying to do that. Um, Cause like I said, not really, part of my nature to want to do that. With a little bit of time, you learn that it's easier to do that than try and hold it all together all the time. That was going to be one of my questions for you is how did you, and even still do you <clears throat> get up every day to parent this three-year-old when you are so deep in your own grief? Um, mostly because the sun comes up each day and your kid gets out of bed and they come and say, mom, I'm hungry. And, and so you really, you just get up and you do it. And there are lots of days where you just 
going through the motions. Um, I really tried to like be present with her, um, but there were like so, so many times where we would be reading stories before bed and I would close the last page in the book and have no idea, like not even remember what book it was. But our daughter has like a freakishly good memory and she will tell you like even if you get a grammatical word in the book wrong. So I was like, well, clearly I read it right because Kenza didn't complain. <laughs> she didn't say, mommy, no, that's not how it goes. Um, but my mind was totally 100% like on Atlas. Um, but you, you just do and you um, become a lot more okay with accepting a lot more help too. Even like Kenza's daycare, she just goes there once or twice a week. But um, I called them and, and gave them a heads up, kind of like, because our childcare in this town is like impossible to get. So they knew I was pregnant and baby was on the list to go there for, I guess it would have been like this summer. Um, but they were just like awesome and also awesome with um like Kenza one thing that was really that she would check in about a lot was I was still a big sister right mommy um and so like we just go with that it's like of course you're a big sister to Atlas um being three she kind of has you can definitely see she has a hard time like knowing or trying to figure out how she's a big sister to him. Um, but like I let the daycare know, like just so you know, she's gonna come to daycare. Her big sister shirt is like her 100% favorite right now. Um, she's gonna talk about him. She's gonna, so like, please just like affirm that. Yes, you're a big sister and um, and they were just phenomenal. They're great about like um, basically supporting my anxiety about being away from her. Um, they would like send me pictures of her throughout the day and stuff. So, and that kind of, I found that um, as much as I just wanted her close to me like all the time, having those days where she stayed with her normal routine of childcare gave me a bit of space just to deal with my grief without also feeling like, okay, I could show my feelings in front of her and stuff, but at what point does she start to get really worried about mommy? Um, and so there were like many, many days when she'd go off to daycare or off with her grandparents where I literally just ran a hot bath and cried in the bathtub. <laughs> Um, or like went for a walk in nature or like just something to have some space and just 
feel it all. But yeah, parenting a little one through their own grief process while trying to process your own grief is there's there's no like right or wrong way to do it you just like all parenting you kind of make it up as you go Mm -hmm. what is life like now almost one year later it's it's weird (laughs) is the simple um explanation like weird in that a lot of things feel easier than they should and not easier in the like emotional sense for a second, but physically actually doing things like Kenza is pretty self-sufficient at three. Like she's potty trained and she can dress herself and she can climb up into her car seat and all these things. So it's like, um, one of the things that always feels weird is um, like I I should have a baby. I should have a like the diaper bag. I should have all the stuff that you need with going out with a little one. And like it should be twice as many steps to get everything done and everyone loaded up in the car. Um, so they're like, to this day, there's still this like, um, almost like I'm forgetting something feeling when I leave the house, you know, um, if I go to work, there should be one more little head to kiss before I go. So in that way, it, it feels weird. Um, and yeah, there's not, there's not a day goes by where you still don't think about it. Um, think about Atlas, um, wonder like what would he be doing now? And that was something Kenza would often, often ask this past year is like, well, what would baby Atlas do now? (laughs) Um, but she would usually word it like in the present tense, like what is he doing now? Because I, I think to her, she still feels like he's just somewhere else growing up, um, just not with us. And, and so we'd like talk about it like, oh, this is what babies usually do at this stage. And it's just strange to be talking about it like that instead of like taking the pictures of the first time they sit up and the first time they crawl and the first time they taste green peas or whatever. But uh, instead of like overwhelming who you are, it becomes part of who you are and it just becomes part of your everyday life. And there are times where like, it still feels really, really raw. Sometimes it also feels like something that, you know, you're learning to live with one person described it as like it it becoming woven into the fabric of who you are and um, it'll never not be a part of you but you learn to to move forward with it and and you had like used that phrase in your email to me about the podcast Jesse and I I just love that phrase so much because there's no there's no moving on um 
there's not, uh, but you can't stop time no matter how desperately you wish you could. <laughs> um, because it feels really unfair that like my life is going on and like when my birthday happened after the Atlas was born, I just remember feeling like this is, this is so unfair that I am marking another year of life and he didn't get to, but um, so you just move forward with them as part of your life and you try and find ways of, of um, honoring them as you go in some yeah. ways it feels like just kind of like a passive choice <laughs> to keep living without them but you really don't have that many alternatives so you just live I want to highlight one thing you said it was so beautiful that doesn't so much now overwhelm who you are it's part of who you are I think that that is just so real so true eventually there's there's like a time where you feel like like it's always just gonna overwhelm you but it does uh it does change I guess I wouldn't say it gets less um less difficult but it does change are you comfortable talking about your current pregnancy yeah absolutely Okay, <clears throat> so share with us how far along in this pregnancy you are and what has this felt like for you? Okay, so I'm 22 weeks, actually I guess 23 weeks tomorrow, and it, it has been a lot. <laughs> so this baby kind of surprised us, or I guess I should say completely surprised us in Jesse, you know about that a little bit. Um, I guess I was kind of like to a point where the idea of having another child was okay. <laughs> um, my husband was like definitely ready to be trying again. I, for me, the biggest thing was like mostly the idea of labor and delivery again it just was like so overwhelming when this baby made its presence known i had done um a fair number of sessions of emdr which is um a, a trauma therapy and and basically addressing that um the biggest thing that for me, I found was sleeping was so hard afterwards. And um, mostly like the, the actual like um, time at the hospital would just like replay on a loop in my head. And I just like couldn't shut it down to go to sleep. The EMDR like really helped with my sleep, but also you, we had to address like the that actual time. And so I'm so thankful that that had taken place before, before this baby came along. There's, there's definitely just a lot more anxiety and like so much 
like when you're pregnant, you're always kind of like checking in with your body, but that to like an extreme because it's like anything like is everything okay or is something going wrong at six and a half weeks with this pregnancy I had some bleeding and um so like immediate thought was like oh no um I was just like getting settled in the idea of like we are having another baby and now we're losing this one too um very thankfully, it was a subchorionic hematoma that eventually resolved on its own. But it was kind of in that day that I was like, no, for sure, this is something that I want. Um, because I was so upset at the idea of, of losing this baby. So there are days where I'm like, okay, this is like, not so bad. Um, and then there are times I started feeling this baby, like for me, super early with both Kenza and Atlas, they were like 19, 20 weeks with this one, like consistently about 15 weeks. And so that's something that it's like, okay, I, I know they're not supposed to have regular movements yet, but it's hard, like not to check in with that all the time um and there have definitely been a few days where i'm like oh my goodness like i haven't been paying attention and i haven't felt them and there must be something wrong um and it's like okay just take a second go have something to eat and drink and like lay down and just be quiet for a minute and like check in for real and see there's definitely a lot more um anxiety a lot more advocating for myself in terms of the care that I received this time. Um, there is not anything about um, Kenza or Atlas's pregnancies or deliveries that would actually make me to be considered high risk. And so in our town, that usually means like, unless you're high risk, you don't see an OB. You either see the midwife or the doctor. I think it would, it must have been, it would, well, it was shortly after um, we found out about the hematoma that I just like asked my doctor and I said, can I see the OB and I want to see this particular OB, please? Because uh, usually they just send the referral to the office and whoever is the next available for a new patient takes you on. And he has been really great. We haven't had super regular visits with him yet, but, um, he, he's been basically like, well, taking patient centered care to heart, <laughs> um, kind of giving us information on like all of our options and then leaving it up to us. Um, which is just really reassuring for me even though I know everything is going as smoothly as we can expect based on the information we have now, even just like having that relationship um, built up now that in case something isn't going okay, um, it's a doctor who, who you have a relationship with. So that 
has been helpful for me in terms of my anxiety and even just knowing that if it's not him on the day of his colleagues from his clinic have like his notes on hand, right? There's no delay in the sharing of information and stuff like that. So that has been helpful. Um, but it's definitely a whole different ball game than before. I'm usually the kind of person who it's like, I don't go to the doctor unless things are like, really, really, like, obviously you need to see the doctor kind of a situation. So far, I haven't had, like, you know, multiple, like, flying trips and urgent appointment requests, but I'm sure, that, I'm pretty sure there's going to be at least one of those before this baby arrives. It's just really hard to trust it, to trust that you might come home with your baby um and even to think of like when baby comes home um in our house we say a lot of if trying to get the nursery ready or like buy baby clothes for this one I just like I I see things and I think oh like that's cute um and then it's like well maybe I'll just wait <laughs> So there's a lot of that. There'll probably be a lot of last minute rushing around or asking my parents to like, oh, by the way, I have no newborn diapers in the house and now baby's here. Can you please go grab some? Cause we're coming home. Um, hopefully there's that, but the anticipation is um, a lot more full of anxiety than and apprehension than like feelings of looking forward to it. Yeah, that makes total and complete sense. What is Kenza saying about this baby? Um, she is super, super excited. Um, <clears throat> she is so looking forward to it. She has She's nicknamed it Little Roundy, which is definitely more in reference to my shape than the baby's, <laughs> but um, it's really cute. Uh, but she has, she has lots of questions. Um, she, she flat out asks, like, mommy, why don't you think this baby will die? Or will this baby get to come live with us? Um, and we like as much as being a mom you want to be able to say like for sure like don't don't worry it's all going to be okay baby will be fine I I just can't so we just tell her like what we know now and we say like well right now baby is okay and mommy has two good doctors checking on things and looking after her and the baby um, and we really, really hope that this baby will get to come home and live with us. Um, and she seems, she seems okay with that. Um, so she talks about it a lot. She, she tells everyone, strangers, <laughs> um, we told her like a little bit before 
um, we had even told our families because um, her anxiety got really high after I rushed to emerge one day when I thought I was having a miscarriage. Um, and she was home with me that day. So we, we waited a little bit to make sure that this pregnancy was going to stick in. And then we did tell her. So we had a few times where she like randomly told friends, guess what? My mommy's growing a baby in her tummy. And they were like, oh, <laughs> they weren't sure <laughs> whether or not they should take her for real or, but um, yeah. So then we were kind of like, okay, we better, we better get telling people. And now she tells like everyone, um, random people going by in the grocery <coughs> store. So she's, she's like clearly very, very excited about it. Um, and she'll be four by the time this baby arrives. So she really has like a good idea of what it means. And she's had two little nieces born since Atlas was born. And, and a, a number of her friends have had little siblings born too. So she, she is good with it. There are times when I can, I mean, as much as a three-year-old can tell you, um, that, uh, that she's having a hard time with it. Um, for example, there, we have a few books in our house about like the new baby that we had bought when I was pregnant with Atlas and read with her kind of preparing her to be a big sister. And there've been a few times where she's chosen those books to read and then just like burst into tears partway through or at the end of the book. And she's not really able to say a lot cause she's three, but she said, you know, she's like, well, I'm just feeling sad now. And so probably remembering reading these the last time and that being a big sister didn't look exactly like she had expected it to. Most of the time, it most of the time she shows her excitement about it, and uh, we'll see how that goes <laughs> when there is a baby in the house. Um, but yeah, there's definitely still a lot of a lot of sadness and a lot of. Um, just trying to figure things out as best as she can understand them. Just in terms of what happened with Atlas. And she definitely doesn't have the expectation that, that babies just are born and come home with their families. It was about three and a half months after Atlas was born that her that a little cousin for Kenza was born. And so that morning we told her like, guess what auntie had her baby. And, um, she just was kind of quiet for a second. And she said, and what happened? Like she was waiting for more information and said, Oh yeah, no baby is fine. And auntie is fine. Like you'll get to meet them soon. And, um, and then even, uh, even after she had met her little cousin, um, she got to meet them when they were still in the hospital. And she said, but does this baby get to come home with auntie and uncle? Like she was still just not trusting it. Like 
babies aren't just okay once they're born. Um, so that's pretty real to her. So there are definitely times when I see that like apprehension come through for her too. That's a lot for a three-year-old brain to try to wrap their mind around. Well, it's a lot for an adult brain to try and figure out. There are still so many times where I feel like my mind is just like yelling, like, but how did my healthy baby die? Um, and so I can only imagine at three, the just kind of the, the amount that it feels overwhelming to her sometimes. Yeah, no doubt. Oh, gosh. Dory, thank you so much for sharing this journey with us today. It really You're is so welcome. such a gift to everyone who's listening in. And we're so thankful for your courage to be here. Well, I appreciate that. I, I just hope that if it reaches even one person, that it makes them feel less alone in their own experience, that like, that would be amazing. I wonder if I can throw in one more like brief topic. Yes, please do. <laughs> okay. Don't forget that your moms are postpartum. <laughs> if you have a, like, if you know someone who is experiencing a loss, they are bleeding and dealing with engorgement and the fatigue of just healing from a delivery, whether it be C-section or vaginal. Um, and it was actually something that I had to check in a lot with myself about, like, wait a minute, I'm probably, probably shouldn't do that. Um, but also in those very early days, um, because your mom <laughs> that you know um, is so newly postpartum, be very, um, just be very careful with your physical affection. Um, everyone wants to offer you a hug and it's greatly appreciated, but I just remember, um, so Atlas was born on Sunday and by Tuesday evening, my milk had come in and I was so engorged. And I like the things they had told me to do were not helping a hot shower and warm compresses and like trying to hand express. Like I just, it was just like not working. And there were a whole bunch of people at our place. And when they went to leave that evening, everybody wanted to give me a hug. And I was just like, moving my arms is really excruciating but I also just didn't have that mental energy to tell people what was going on and so if somebody went in for a hug I like kind of tried to do it super gently but just like went with it um but just don't forget that this person they don't have a baby in their arms but they just had a baby <laughs> so the things that you like might do for your girlfriends that have just had a baby like making them padsicles or um whatever like do those things 
Um, and last thing is just don't forget about the dads. Sometimes we underestimate how hard it is on them in general watching their, um, their spouse or their person um, labor and deliver a baby. But um, it's it can also be a hugely traumatic experience for them. So don't forget to check in with them too. Somehow we feel like maybe they're not as attached to that baby or um, something until it's born. But uh, I don't think that's the case for any parent. Our, our love starts long, long before we hold that baby in our arms. Um, and so don't forget about the dads too. So important. Yeah, thank you for all those reminders. Thank you so much, Dory. You're so welcome. Um, like I said, I'm just happy that people are opening these conversations. One day, Jesse, you, if you posted um, just like on the Facebook group that uh, you like love hearing birth stories. And I think that's something that um, parents whose baby is not living um, they still have a birth story and they still have a story to tell. Um, but not everybody is ready to hear their story. So yeah, just a thank you for allowing me and for, um, bringing this conversation to a bigger audience. I really, really think it's, um, something that's, um, we just can acknowledge better. Absolutely. And with that, <clears throat> I believe this episode will go live June 4th, which is the day after Atlas's first birthday. Which I think is like perfect. <laughs> so wild. We did not plan it out this way, but the universe works in mysterious ways sometimes. Yeah. So happy birthday to Atlas and honoring you on that day as well. Thank you. On the next episode of Two Birth and Beyond, we get to speak with Lisa Hendrickson-Jack, author of The Fifth Vital Sign and host of Fertility Friday podcast. We talk with Lisa all about fertility and how it is the fifth vital sign and how understanding and having an education about our own fertility is important, even if we are not trying to conceive. We hope you enjoyed listening to this episode of the To Birth and Beyond podcast. You can find any links or resources we discussed in the show notes at tobirthandbeyond.com. And if you enjoyed today's show, we would love for you to leave us a review on iTunes and subscribe to the To Birth and Beyond podcast in iTunes or Stitcher. 